the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Josh Wilson. There, gotcha. Hey, good morning. <laughs> Everybody thought I was going to say Brian Terry. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, Brian's off messing around somewhere, so we brought Mr. Josh Wilson in. Of course, Josh is the resident automatic transmission guru. That's right. Get in here every once in a while. That these guys will let me in. So there you go. <laughs> be sure and get your transmission questions in before we run out of time. That's it. We can talk about any topic you'd like. You just give us a call. We can handle anything you might want to have a question about. However, if you do have an automatic transmission question that's over my head, Josh is the man to answer that for you. Anything in particular. That's right. There you go. I <laughs> got all that out of the way. We were talking before we came on just a little bit about transmissions and just maintenance in general. Right. A couple of recent vehicles that came into shop uh, within the last week just kind of brought it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Your maintenance, bringing your cars in to dealerships or high-volume, quick-loop-type places, negative side effects that that can cause. Mm -hmm. And what we had found, what we run into is the problems that we could head off if you're in the right place. That's right. And you have the right guy checking it out. Two transmission problems that came in last week, one of them on the the Nissan, which you have an article on the website addressing that specific problem. Well, in fact, she had come in earlier, and I remember mentioning to her, I said, you know, this is the one that has a problem with the radiator. Right. If it were me, I would swap this radiator out right now. I wouldn't right. wait for it to bust and take transmission out. Because right. what happens on that particular model Nissan, the cooling tank starts leaking, it leaks water into your transmission, which takes transmission out. And then you got to change the radiator and the transmission. Right. But she took it back to the dealership and, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with the radiator. Right. The uh, radiator's well, not leaking. Admittedly, well. there is nothing wrong with it right now. However. Right. Once so, it's bad it's too late right when she comes in day before yesterday right with a transmission full of water right and that could have 100 percent been prevented just by changing the just radiator, by changing the radiator ahead of time. which was not cheap i mean that's probably a 500 dollar deal but yeah to change the radiator the, the but it's a five thousand dollar deal to change the transmission right. and the radiator <laughs> the transmission is a five-speed automatic mm-hmm. the computer is mounted on the valve body inside in the pan. inside the transmission so i mean you're changing the the transmission computer everything is contaminated with that coolant well and see the dealership did not lie to her right it's just they are looking at it from a different perspective than i am i'm looking at it from overall lowest cost that's right it is way less expensive to replace a known problem radiator before it ruptures and causes a major problem the dealership just told her hey it's nothing wrong with it it's not leaking it's not leaking which is the test they ran and well, admittedly, it is not leaking. However, it is going to leak, and when it does, it's going to take out transmission. So the point was, if you'd have gone to the right person and listened to their advice, you might have saved the situation where she is right now. That's right. Which practically totals the car. Yes. You can't put in six, $7,000 because she had some other problems. That's right. It's, it's not like it was the only and, problem with the car. Yeah, she had just put catalytic converters on it right. and new tires. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, just yeah, she's just getting, she's getting really, bad, really deep. Yeah, a real bad situation that could have been avoided. When well, a little bit more proactive, right? When you, when you plans. have guys that see repeat failures and and they're going to advise you on it. That's, that's right. You want to take it from there. Talk a little bit more about that. Let's catch our phone lines here. We got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Oh, uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, yes, hey, sir. look, I've got an O three Mazda B three thousand. Okay. And on the shift lever, it has an overdrive on off button. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've never touched that thing, but once in a while, just going down the road, the overdrive off indicator on the dash will come on and flash. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's... What, uh, what might that be? 
That's setting a transmission code. There's oh. the computer is seeing some kind of problem with the transmission and it's flashing a code. See that uh-huh. that light is kind of like the check engine light is for the engine. That's for the oh, transmission. Really? Yes, sir. It's it's got an internal code, and those transmissions have had a fair amount of problems. We see quite a bit of trouble with those. Right. Okay. Uh, not noticing any shift problems. Not shifting hard or shifting late or anything. Only when that light comes on, yeah. it'll shift rough a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. There should be a code stored in the computer. Not all of the little code readers will read it. You may right. have to have a diagnostic tool that will go into the transmission section and get it. Okay. But I do have be... an OBD2. That may reader. not yeah, may yeah. not be able to get it with that. If it's set a code, see, OBD2 is strictly emissions, and any code that affects emissions will be in there. But right. you have a whole series of codes called manufacturer's codes that not necessarily going to be there unless you got a little more sophisticated machine. But right. It may be that that is a fairly minor problem right now that may be able to be prevented. So it would certainly help you to go ahead and check that. For instance, it could be something like a vehicle speed sensor not reading correctly, which are a map sensor or something that could result in too little pressure to the clutches, which could burn transmission up. So you certainly want to go in, have that problem diagnosed, and it happens very infrequently, and it's not a big deal. That's one thing. But if it's something minor that's going to create a much bigger problem, right. then you need to go ahead and have that addressed. But right. it, okay. it's just like the check engine light is for your transmission. Okay. Now, when also, when it happens, and I stopped the vehicle and restarted, but right. it's not flashing anymore. Yeah. So well, what it does, it, have, no, it, it's, it's still in there. It moves it from active memory to history whenever you cycle the ignition. And that just clears the register so that it can start checking codes again. But it's still in history. Anybody with the right scan tool can still retrieve it. Okay, great. Can I ask one more? You bet. Yes. I've got an 05 GMC Sierra mm-hmm. SLE, and occasionally the knock sensor uh, code will come up. Yeah, pretty common. And I had talked to a mechanic. Mm-hmm. He asked me, how does it run? I said, it runs great. Mm-hmm. And he explained to me, he said, it's probably that sensor itself going out. Well, that, there's two sensors. Yeah, there's two sensors and there's a little harness. That's a 5.3 liter? Yes, sir. Yeah, there's two sensors and there's a harness. And what happens, they're underneath the intake manifold, and they sit down right. and it's little dimples. And if the motor ever gets wet for any reason, like if somebody tries to wash the motor, that's one thing will knock it out. Another thing, if you have like a radiator hose bust or a radiator leak or something where it's fused coolant on the top motor, those little dimples will fill up with coolant or water or whatever, and they're sitting underwater. So they will go out pretty soon thereafter. But the fix is going to be you're going to need to pull the intake manifold, replace the two sensors and little harness that connects it, and then you take some RTV and you build a little dam around the front of it to where if uh-huh. anything gets in there, it'll just flow around it instead of going and fill those little tubes up. All right, great. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate it. All righty. Yeah, one more tip on that. Make sure you get the new manifold gasket. Right, there's an updated do, manifold yeah. gasket. If you go back to GM and buy it, you'll get the new one anyway. But they had like a defect in those gaskets where the engine would run real rough when it was cold because it would leak, and there is an updated gasket. I think the originals were kind of an orange color. The new one will be a teal color. Okay. So just be right. sure you get the updated gaskets. And also, there's little bolts that hold that thing together with a little rubber cushion. You have to change those bolts every single time. Do not, change the bolts. Yeah, if you, if you try to reuse the bolts, it's, it's going to end up leaking again. Okay. All right. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we had an email earlier in the week from Josh Black in California who had a 72-model Chevy pickup truck. And I think he said his grandfather had bought the truck brand new. And the rear end had broken or bust. I think the truck wouldn't move at all anymore. 
and he was asking some questions. He wanted to know how to get the rear end, the proper rear end ratio. Right. Calculate that. Right. And as far as repairing a 72 rear differential, what would be the best way to go about it? Try right. to get a remanufactured one to bolt in or do you have to have, have his rebuilt. Rebuilt. And the probably the smartest guy I know when it comes to gears is Earl Zimmer. Yeah. At Zimmer Gears. Yeah. And we just got to have Earl on the other line. Hey, Earl. Good morning. Hey, what's going on, man? Yes, sir. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Josh. Hey, you know, Mr. Earl. Yes, sir. Earl Zimmer is to gears kind of what Stradivarius was to violins, I think. Well, thank, you very, <laughs> thank you very much, Lewis. <laughs> to answer Josh's question, how do you go about telling what ratio rear end you got? Well, there's several ways to do it. The most accurate way is to take the differential cover off and count the teeth on the, both the green gear and the pinion. Okay. And normally on that 72 model, the, the ratio, the tooth combination will be stamped into the gear along with the manufacturer's part number. Okay. However, that General Motors truck, that was the last year of that body style and the last year of that same positive traction differential. Okay. It is proprietary to itself from somewhere around 68 through 72. Mm-hmm. 73 springs change and width change and so forth and so on with the body change. Okay. If he's not able to get the cover off, if, of course, if it's broken, it's gonna, he'll need to look inside anyway. Mm-hmm. More than likely, unless it was a special auto vehicle, it came with a 3.73 ratio and a positive traction. Yeah, I think that's what he suspected. It was 373. Yes. But if it, if it was able to be rotated, if the drive shaft would be able to be rotated with the tires off the ground, there's a pretty simple method to test that. Mm-hmm. It's very accurate. In case your listeners don't know, the 3.73 means that the drive shaft turns 3.73 times to the back tire turning one time, mm-hmm. which should be in unison with the engine okay. in high gear. Now, we don't know whether that truck was an automatic or a stick shift yet, do we? I don't no. recall. Okay. Well, it won't really make much difference. It could have been a special order where they may have installed, a, where the factory would have put a 4.1 or possibly a remote possibility with a 4.56. Okay. But what you would do is jack the vehicle up and secure it on stands, mm-hmm. by all means. And we just take some chalk or a crayon or something that you could mark the tires on the inside where you can see them, where they're visible to who's going to turn the shaft. If it's a positive traction, both tires should rotate together simultaneously. Okay. And you would mark the drive shaft also. And the easiest thing to do is mark it all at 6 o'clock on the face dial. Okay. And you want to rotate the drive shaft one revolution mm-hmm. and look at the tires and see if they're in unison. Okay. If those two tire marks stay together, let's say it goes to the 9 o'clock position. Right. Rotate it another turn, put back the drive shaft back down facing the earth, mm-hmm. and look at the tire again. Mm-hmm. If the drive shaft rotates three and a half times, mm-hmm. it would be what's called a 3.4 ratio. Okay. More than like a General Motors has a combination. Uh, if anybody wants to write it down out there in the audience, that's mm-hmm. fine. They have a 3.07. They have a 3.40, okay. 3.73, and then a 4.1, and then finally the 4.56. Okay. So if the drive shaft turned just barely over three times, you would have the 3.07 ratio. Right. That was an awfully high ratio. More than likely, it's not in that truck, being a four-wheel drive and used for off-road use. Mm -hmm. It would need more towing capacity and more climbing capacity. If it rotated three and a half turns, you would assume that's the 3.4 ratio. And three and three quarters would give you three and your 373 ratio. Okay. And a little over four would give you 4.1, and then back to four and a half would give you your 456 ratio. There you go. And you just look at your tires. If it doesn't have a positive traction, that could enter into another little can of worms, but it's easily correctable. Just as long as the tires keep in time with yeah, each other. Yeah, as long as they stay together. Turning. As long as they stay together. Mm-hmm. And if need be, you can have two people, one guy to rotate the tires and one guy to wash the drive. Right. Shaft. Same thing. Turn the tires one time and it goes and around 3.3 quarters. Correct. Yeah. 
more than likely it's got a 3.73. Right. And luckily, that rear end there, the parts are still all available for okay. them. So it could be repaired by a competent repair facility. Well, and that was my advice to him because you're not going to find a used rear end that old. Oh, That's no. going to be in any kind of shape. Oh, no, indeed. No, and indeed. kind of unlikely to find anybody who has one that old on the shelf as far as a rebuilt one, I would Yeah. Think. Sometimes that the Jasper people have something of okay. that nature in, in stock. Okay. Car could build one for him. Right. We've had to use them in the past on, on heavier trucks that we can't secure a housing for, mm-hmm. and they've always been able to come through. But at least everything in that one is repairable, including the positive traction. That, that is a rebuildable positive traction, oh, okay. unlike the uh, current ones that are in production after 73. Okay. That was an Eaton manufactured positive traction. Oh, okay. And all the parts are still available. Wow. Believe it or not. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> in this day well, and age. Well, it was all durable, you know, so there, yeah. was, there was pieces out there. So. That's right. Well, they used to build trucks to keep for a long, long, well, long, long time. As certainly. opposed to now, they build them to last about the warranty period and then yeah. go, go buy a new truck. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right, Lewis. Man, we are up against a break, Earl. Yes, sir. I, I really appreciate oh, well, you calling. Well, I, I appreciate being on with you all this morning. If I can help any way, you know to call. Yeah, man. Thanks Thank you so you. much. Bye-bye. All right. Hi, Earl Zimmer from Zimmer Gears here in Baton Rouge. Probably one of the best gear guys. If you have any kind of differential work done, that's the guy to call. We'll take a quick little break, and we'll be right back. David, Joe, hang on. You guys be straight up after the break. Hi, folks. Lewis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and, man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Lewis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. (laughs) Hey, Lewis, James here. 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan. Today we have Mr. Josh Wilson, the automatic transmission guru from Agco, in the studio with us. So if you have an automatic transmission question or just any question at all, you give us a call. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We're going back to our phone lines. Joe, good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis, this is Joe. Hey, boy. You did uh, my motor miles win? Yes, sir. Remember I was talking to you about my little Honda with the little valve they changed yes, and all? Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, being like I got the guru there, let me ask him a question. <laughs> right, I, I have a 2003 Honda CRV. Okay. A couple of years ago, I had an engine light come on, so I took it to a guy on the west side of the river, and he changed his component. I, he had to go into the exhaust manifold or something, he said. Okay. Um, and ever since he did that, this thing doesn't shift right. It, you know, like it's a downshift. I'll be doing 20, all of a sudden it's a downshift to like 10 miles an hour, and I get a, like a flutter in the transmission like a vibration, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, we see very, very few problems with that Honda CRV. Some of the other Hondas have quite a bit of transmission failures, but the CRV, for some reason, seems to be immune to it. Mm-hmm. One, the first thing, obviously, if it hasn't been serviced, I would service it with the Honda fluid. It has to have that Honda transmission fluid that affects the way it shifts tremendous amount. Now, you said it right after they changed, whatever they changed is when all this it was started. A valve assembly. It was a big valve assembly. It looked like it had a 
Was it a VTEC uh, solenoid, maybe? I don't know. I got it. I got the paperwork. But yeah. ever since he did it, that's been two years ago, the thing ain't done right. I brought it back to him. He made some adjustments. It did a little better. And after that, I said, forget it. I just drive it. Now, you're talking about a valve on the transmission? I don't think it was on. From what he said, he had to take the manifold off or something to get to this valve assembly. Yeah, I w- would really just have to see exactly what was replaced. But um, Well, I may come by the shop and let you, you know, look at it and see. I mean, just been two years ago it's been doing that with me. And, well, right. and see, there's several <laughs> sensors and stuff on the motor that will also affect the transmission. If it was something to do with, like, a throttle position sensor, that's certainly going to affect the way it shifts. Or mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that one has a map sensor on it or not or what where it gets the input from a vehicle load. But, see... The transmission is 100% controlled by the computer, which is controlled by the engine. You know, whatever it sees, it's trying to maximize engine power. So if it doesn't know how much throttle you're applying or if it doesn't know any of the main inputs, it's going to really affect the way transmission shifts. Okay. Well, actually, I never had a problem to rechange that valve assembly, whatever right. it was. And, you know, like, it's like every now and you drive it and it'll have like a little shutter in it and then it'll just smooth up. Yeah, I would bring the paperwork with you, whatever was done, so we can get a heads up on that. And like Josh says, we may just be able to go in and do a service on it because it almost sounds like a little torque converter shutter going on. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, what speed was it? At what, what speed does it occur? The, the shutter? Oh, probably about 45 or something yeah. like that. That's okay. about what it's going yeah. to lock up. So it could definitely be something in that. And a lot of times on a Honda, if you just service it properly with the Honda Fluid, you can get that out. Yeah, that Honda well, Fluid. We even use that Honda Fluid in other vehicles that to, have get, problems. to get the shutter to go away. Well, I'll probably bring it in and let him check it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll bring the part and let him look at it, too. There you go. That'd, yeah. be, that'd be the best thing. All right, man. All right, Joe. Thank Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're in part of the automotive hour, we got David's been patiently holding. Good morning, David. Hey, I'm working on a 2001 Chrysler Town & Country. Okay. Trying to replace the window regulator okay. motor. Done it, and it's still not working. I've checked the fuse box. There is no fuse for that uh, windows, these window motors over here. I'm wondering what to do next. Well, the first thing before you did anything would have been to take a voltmeter and go to the motor and see if you got voltage when you hit the switch because you could eliminate everything you've done so far. If you got voltage, power, and ground at the motor, then we're into a motor. If you do not have power and ground, then you have to go upstream and see where the power and ground is ending. So you kind of starting out backwards but you're going to still have to do that you can have to see if you got power and ground because depending on where you bought the window motor you may have got a defective motor so you go off in a tirade of spending money looking for other things because you got a defective motor because i can tell you if you went to a parts store and bought it probably about 75 percent of them don't work right out the box so get a voltmeter go to the motor go to your two leads you should have 12 volts on one ground on the other when you push the switch the other way they all reverse each other if you've got that then you've got a bad motor. If you do not have power and ground, then go to the switch and do the same thing. Check the input. If you've got power going into the switch, nothing coming out, then you've got a bad switch. Same thing, just keep on going down line. There's a relay in there somewhere. There's all kinds of stuff that it could be. I mean, we could talk for two days about the stuff it could be. But without a systematic approach, find out where the voltage ends. And if you got voltage, you just kind of spinning your wheels. Okay, now maybe getting off the subject here. But I have moved from Baton Rouge up to the Alexandria area. Mm-hmm. I need a good mechanic shop up here. Well, I'll tell you what you do is go to my website and look on the front page, how to select a good shop, read that article, and that's going to tell you how to find one. All right. Well, the problem is that site is 
every time I hit something on that thing, it mm -hmm. comes up to, if I go back to the home page, what it's going to do, it's going to hit, uh, hit something that says this domain name has expired. Yeah, they're having some trouble with it this morning. The administrator is already aware that he's working on it, so you may have to wait till this afternoon sometime when he gets that cleared up. But, yeah, I went on it this morning and it was down, so I'm not sure what kind of problem. I've already notified the administrator of it. Okay. All right. All right. I appreciate your okay, time. Okay, David. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, right 291 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We got to take one more quick little break. Kim and Charles, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40 year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. Ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Josh Wilson, the automatic transmission guru from Agco here in the studio today. If you have a question about your car or comment, you just give us a call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We're going back to phone lines. Charles, good morning, Charles. Hey, how are you? I'm looking at Subarus. I'm looking at an Outback or a, a Legacy. Okay. What do you think about the four-wheel drive and the tires on that car and the uh, that boxer engine? Where are you calling from, Charles? Are you in the Baton Rouge area? I'm calling from Baton Rouge, yes. Yeah. My only problem with Subaru, Charles, it's a good little car. Okay, don't get me wrong. And if you lived in the northwest or you lived in the northeast where there's tons and tons of them, it's really it's right up there on a scale with Toyota and Honda. The problem in Baton Rouge is there's only one dealership in, in town, and they're relatively new to it. And there's been a few over the years, but they kind of keep going out of business. If you buy a car that only one guy in town can service, and then they decide, well, you're not making enough money selling these cars, then you're kind of stuck with a car like everybody was the last three times they went out of business. It's just I don't like buying a car that is only one source of service and parts in the area. If, if you're in an area where the car was more locally popular, I would say great. And to answer your question, it's a decent car. They don't have much trouble with the four-wheel drive. I mean, basically, it's a pretty good little car. But you kind of sort of paint yourself into a corner when, when you get in that situation. You know, let's say you take it in – for service and they treat you like a jerk and you get mad. Okay, now what you gonna do? <laughs> you know? Right, because you got to go back to them for warranty service. Whereas, let's say you had a Toyota and there's seven dealers in the area. Mm -hmm. You don't like one, you go to another one. You know what I'm saying? And right. that's my only and what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Customer brings it in and we can report pattern failures and we can head off problems. We don't have a good base of the Subarus to go by. Because there's just not enough of them locally. With the Nissan, we know that certain year model, that 06, can't call it off the top of my head what all years were in it, but we know you need to do that radiator before it 
takes out a transmission. Right. We just don't have that kind of base information right. with the Subarus because we don't see them. The local service people are far more familiar with the car because they see them every day. You bring a Toyota Camry or a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Accord into a shop, and they can tell you everything that's wrong and everything that's going to be wrong with it. That's but right. the, the shops in this area, and it's not a car problem, it's just an area problem because there's not been a strong dealership presence in this, really in the state for many, many, many years. And the ones that have been here came in, lasted a year or two, went out of business, stuck a bunch of people with cars that couldn't get them serviced. So that would be my only fear in purchasing one. Now, I mean, if you just really got to have that car, yeah, great. It's not a bad car overall. I haven't seen a lot of problems with them. Like I said, we just don't service a lot of them. And I don't know anybody else other than the dealership that does service them. So <laughs> just kind of keep that in mind. You're making your decision. All right. All right. That's a- what would be comparable to a Subaru, say, the Legacy? That would probably be something like a Toyota RAV4, maybe, RAV4 or, or a Honda CRV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you may pay a little bit more for those cars just because they're so popular. However, if you look at the resale value on a used car, you get it back when you sell the car. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you pay an extra $2,000 up front, but you get 3000 more when you sell it. It's just a wash, and it's a good car, easily serviceable. One reason I like Toyota so well is that Gulf States Toyota is in Houston, which is the main depot for the United States. So practically any part you can imagine is overnight to us. I mean, mm-hmm. I can, you can bring your car in one day. They've got six or seven big dealers right in the area, so probably I'm going to be able to get the part today. If I can't get it today, by tomorrow I can have it. As opposed to this car would maybe be a week out on parts when you go mm-hmm. in. So something to th- and you got to remember, my world is repairs. You know, I, all I see is broken cars. I know people who have cars, they love them, and, and, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it as the person who's inconvenienced, the person who's standing there, won't know why it takes a week to get his car back. You know, that's my side of, of the deal. So I'm going to always give you that perspective. And Honda CRV versus the RAV4, mm-hmm. what do you think on a comparison of those two? Uh, both good vehicles. I mean, I like the Toyota products just a little bit better if I had to make a judgment, but that's my personal preference. They're a little bit easier to service, a little bit easier to get parts for, but Again, my perspective is 100% on the service side. You know, I don't drive either one of those cars, so I can't tell you which one drives better or all that. I know the customers who own them like both of them. Yeah, both of, both of them just get real, really good. Really good reviews from the customers that have them. On the RAV4 versus, say, a Camry. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one's, less, yeah, one's a crossover and one's a car. It just depends on what kind of vehicle you want. The car would be a lot more comfortable for, for trips, you know, say to Destin or, well, or whatever. Yes and no. you got to remember a RAV4 or a CRV is not truly what you call a SUV. It's what they call a crossover. That means it's an SUV-type body built on an automobile or car platform. So they're going to ride well. I mean, they, they don't really ride like, say, a 4Runner or something that's a true SUV. Mm-hmm. It's not built on a truck chassis. It's built on a car chassis. So you might just go test drive one, and I know they don't like to let you drive them real far. Now, one thing that you might consider also is – See if you can find a rental place that rents one and go rent one for a day mm-hmm. and drive it around. I mean, you're making a big investment any way it goes with a new car, so you want to make sure you make the right choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks, man. Thank Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is another. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. we got Kim's been patiently holding. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. My dad is in Baton Rouge, and he is making me call you from Biloxi, Mississippi. Okay. <laughs> He is a repeat customer and wants me to trust your advice wholeheartedly. Okay. So here we go. I have a 2008 Dodge Nitro okay. that I've had since day one. Mm-hmm. It's got 93,000 miles on it, and the air compressor's been out since August. Okay. 
I've recently taken it into the dealership because there's a knocking noise going on in there, and they've quoted me about $2,000 worth of repairs. Right. Keep in mind, I still owe about $5,000 on the car. Mm -hmm. My question is, is it worth the money to invest in this vehicle, or is it to fix it, or is it time to just shop for a new one? Well, my answer, Kim, would probably be both. And the reason being, unless you're going to sell it right now while it's Mm -hmm. cold, you're probably not going to be able to give that car away in Biloxi or anywhere in the South without air conditioning. I mean, the value of the car goes to zero without AC. Right. Now, all of that being said, if you owe five and you got to dump two in it to get seven for it, it's kind of sort of a wash or you sell it like it is for the five you owe. You know, and I don't know what exactly the numbers are, but most of the time you could probably have the repair made for the amount the car is going to depreciate without air conditioning. Right. Now, all of that said, I got to say that the Chrysler products in that age range and mileage range, this will not be the last repair you're making on that car. I mean, if you're in a position where you just can't afford to do anything else, then I would say, yeah, just fix it. Let's drive it. Try to take care of it. Get the most you can out of it. But my history with those cars, they're fairly problematic when they start approaching 100,000 miles. Okay. So if you can't afford to make a swap, I would probably have the repair done and then go ahead and look at trading. That way you're not under the gun to do it. I mean, if you have to wait until the summer even to sell it, doesn't matter because at least right. you got AC in it. But uh, I think okay. it would be practical to repair it before trying to sell it, you know, unless you've got somebody who's willing to give you what you think it's worth at you know, with the air conditioning not working, which – Right. My well, experience dealer- is not usually the case. Right. All right. Well, All right. thank you very much. All right, Kim. Thanks for calling me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've got to take our one last little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Lewis Alzan from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm into cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing. Just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years... I got him bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steer you wrong. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our transmission guru, Mr. Josh Wilson, here in the studio with me today. So if you have an automotive problem, question, or comment, you just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going back to our phone lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. This is Paul Herman with that 93 Corvette. Okay. Hey, Mr. Paul. Yeah. I'm always singing you guys' praises when I hand, when I hand out your business cards. Well, there you uh, go. Because everybody needs a good mechanic sooner or later. There you go. But anyway, a month or so back, I had this transmission violent shutter. Okay. And it started to slow down. But anyway, it's diagnosed by a mechanic that I know that it was probably the torque converter in the clutch. Right. And so I poured in some of this non-slip fluid. It's real fine oil, and it cleared it up. Okay. 
but I was just curious. Right now, it's barely noticeable, only at certain times, going mm-hmm. to no overdrive at 40 mon- 41 miles per hour. Yeah, it's actually going into lockup, not overdrive. A lot of people confuse those two, but lockup is when the transmission torque converter clutches lock, and that's when you're going to get that sensation. But it just depends how long it's been since it was serviced last. You know, if it's been, I know you don't put very many miles in that car, but time is also a factor. Because the additives that come in the fluid, and there's regular transmission fluid, has a friction modifier in it. Oh, okay. But it goes away over time. And so that's when you kind of start picking up a lot of those issues. And if you dump some more friction modifier in it, you do replace that one additive, but all the others, see, are also a problem. So a better plan is to go in and have it serviced. You do a proper service on it rather than just adding one additive to it. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah. Is that one of the ones that were, you were running the AMSOIL in? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, still would probably do the service on it if it hadn't been done. It's been um, more than three just, years. What year was that, Mr. Paul? Uh, 93. Yeah, I mean, we could just, just check it out and see what's going on there, see if there's any kind of adjustment that could be made. Okay. Um, so so you can make slight adjustments to the clutch. Well, uh, not to the torque converter clutch, but to some of the things that control there, it. There possibly could be something in the valve body that we could tune up to to give it a little bit more pressure to hold oh. instead of and not let it slip like that. Yeah, so I should bring it in and, and have you guys uh, service it. That I, well, that'll be my recommendation. Yeah, if it's if we can get it to duplicate while I'm driving it mm-hmm. and, and kind of make sure let's make sure that it is lockup doing it and you know let's do a little bit of diagnosing before assuming that it's lockup. Right, because there's a few things like a very slight engine misfire that will feel exactly like that you know because mm-hmm. when it's going lock it's also when the engine is under peak load because the rpm is low and the load is high and sometimes you have just a slight little misfire it'll i mean i've had professional mechanics oh absolutely yeah mistake those very difficult to distinguish if it's a engine running or a transmission shutter mm-hmm. i've had all the plugs change and the spark right. plug wires and it's really running good yeah and when i put that uh, friction modifier uh, friction modifier right. in it. Actually, my mileage went up about two miles per gallon. Yeah, yeah. It may if if the torque converter is not locking in, your mileage is going to drop on account of that. Mm-hmm. And most likely, it is going to be a shutter. And like Josh says, you could have a spring in the valve body or a check ball that's starting to break down, degrade, and it's not putting enough pressure to those clutches, so they're chattering mm-hmm. when they're engaging. When you put the friction modifier, you're just allowing it to slip, which is covering the symptom, but right. it's still slipping. Right. So you could end up with a bad torque converter. Whereas you could just drop the valve by, change the check ball or spring, and, and alleviate the problem. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I'm going to come and service it because I know uh, the modifications that you might find uh, would be a lot cheaper than a new torque converter. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 right. absolutely. So I'll make a point and bring it in. Okay, okay. sounds great, man. All right, thank All right, you. Paul, bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you complaint with the shutter that is something it kind of comes in spells with us we see it a lot and then all of a sudden you don't see it too much it does and you know every now and then you get one that really you just cannot tell which one it is if Mm -hmm. it's in the engine or the trans right you know we've had one that has been at bad injectors Mm -hmm. it just gives you that little fish bite you know this right little little shutter and I mean, they can be a real pain to find. Yeah, yeah, real bear to try to locate exactly what it is. Of course, it certainly helps if you've got a scan tool that is capable of bi-directional communication because you can sit and you can watch when it commands lockup and see if it corresponds to the vibration. 
That's right. And lockup is not uh, on and off. No. It's on, lockup, and off. It's a slip. It's a gradual. It will it will apply in increment 20, 30, 40%, just allowing that clutch to partially slip yeah. so that it can gradually bring lockup on. Right. And it some will even hold it at 50. If you're not fast enough, it'll just hold at 40, 50%, continually slipping the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the fluid condition is extremely critical on, on that kind of lockup because it has to slip and it has to do it smoothly or you're going to feel that shutter. That's right. And we seem to see that more in certain cars. For instance, the Ford products back with the Crown Vicks and the Lincoln Town cars and all those, I think it was with the 4R70W. Right, right. Had quite a bit of problem with that. Some of the Honda products we see it in, don't see it as much on General Motors, I notice. Yeah, that's that hadn't been a real killer for them, but when you do find it, it, it usually is, is more difficult to find than the Ford ones were. Mm-hmm. But regular maintenance... Keeping that good fluid in there is very important on that. We serviced a Ford truck the other day, and looking at the maintenance schedule, they didn't have a transmission service scheduled on the maintenance, routine maintenance, mm-hmm. until 150,000 miles. Wow. And I'm like, there's just absolutely no way. That's right. And that's Ford's recommendation. And Well, you and know, it, if you're yeah, not going to keep the truck. Yeah, if you're going to keep it 100,000 and trade it off or, or get rid of it or junk it, that's fine. That's fine. But and, if you want it to last, we have... You know, Mr. Eichelberger, who is our religious customer on 30,000-mile maintenance. Right. And he has those company vehicles that run two and 300,000 miles, and he is the only one we've ever seen yeah. get that, that kind of mileage. He gets two to 300,000 miles on Chrysler, town and countries. He yeah. gets that on Hyundais. Right. On vehicles that no one else is getting that yeah. kind of mileage on, he's right. getting it regularly. Right. But, again, every 30,000 miles, he's in there for he's, service. He's in there. That's, yep. Yeah, we've got individual files on all his vehicles, and I, you, know, you just like setting your watch. Every time they hit 30000 on one of them, it's in there. But it's just been way, way cheaper for him to do that. Right, right. And it, it falls back to when you're just regular maintenance. We do the service, and the customer will ask you, well, how did it look? Well, it looked fine. And they think, well, well I really didn't need to do it. but. Yeah. It's not that simple. You know, you don't want it to look bad when you're doing a service. That's right. You, you don't want to wait until it's 100% depleted before you service it. That's because right. you're already doing damage at that point. Right. So, yeah, that's one of those things. And we kind of touched on this a little bit before. But when you – and, again, I'm not – sometimes people say you diss the dealers a lot. And that's not necessarily true. I know there are some fine dealerships out there. I know they got the customer's best interest at heart. But a lot of times what happens – Let's say you take your car into the dealership for maintenance. Well, the guys in dealerships normally are on a commission payment basis, which I think is a problem, but it's just the way most of them are operated. They get paid a percentage of what they do. Now, the rub is warranty work pays a much smaller amount than regular work. So they are very unlikely to tell you necessarily about something that might be covered under warranty particularly if you're close to the end of the warranty. Yeah, right. If you're a month or two out of warranty. Yeah, they just don't want to you know, have to do this job out. for half price. Yeah. And I'm not saying a perfectly honest guy isn't going to tell you about it because he would, and I'm not going to say that everybody in, in works in dealerships are not perfectly honest because you know a lot of them are. But there's just less incentive for him to tell you the right thing. So what I recommend is find a good independent shop that you can trust, go there and have your maintenance done, have them point out things that are covered under warranty and then take those items back to the dealer and get them to cover them under warranty. 
That's right. And a lot of them have the free oil changes now. Right. So even if you just once or twice a year bring it in just for a general inspection. Yeah, just come in once a year for a general inspection. Hey, hey, look the car over. Make sure everything looks like it's up to par. They're not missing anything. And, you know, we can print you out a list of things that we find that you can go get done under warranty. Well, and we had a gentleman not uh, long ago, I think a week or so ago with a Suburban, and Thought he was doing wonderful maintenance on his vehicle, and finally some things broke. He had a bunch of lights on and one thing and another. So he brings it in, and we start checking. He says, we'll do a general inspection. And we came back with a big old list of stuff. He's like, wow, why wasn't they telling me about this? You know, he had 150,000 miles. This transmission had never been serviced. I don't think the coolant had been replaced. On and on and on and on. All these things that were not getting done. And you got to remember what happens nowadays is that on a manufacturer's level, they all are vying for a low-maintenance vehicle because they know guys like Consumer Reports and such as that rate them on how low the maintenance schedule is. Same thing with people who buy fleet vehicles. Let's say you got a company that buys 10,000 fleet vehicles a year. Well, maintenance is a big deal. They don't want to have to do it. But, again, they're only going to keep that vehicle probably 50,000 miles, and they're going to trade it. Right. So a lot of the recommendations are based on the big customers, the guys like that. And that's why they give you these blue sky estimates. So the point is, you really, the things that they do list are very, very, very important. You can't miss them. You can't be late on them. And a lot of things are based on run to fail rather than long-time overall maintenance. Right. And our end of it is we're trying to get as many miles right. out of that vehicle for the lowest cost. Overall lowest cost and, is our perception. You know, that means we'll recommend 3,000-mile oil changes right. and 30,000-mile transmission services. Right. And Only because it's a lot cheaper to do that right. than to wait until it breaks. Right. And that customer can go back to the dealership, and they'll tell them that the exact opposite. Yeah. And, and I, you get their side of it, too, because they you have two professionals telling them two completely opposite things. Right. And, you know, they're at a loss. You know, people who, are confused. Who do I go with? Yeah, people are confused. And, again, you have to remember the guy giving you those recommendations is in the business of selling new cars. So it's not that he wants your car to break down, certainly not during the warranty period, but he didn't want this car to last forever either. That's right. For everyone who keeps a car 300,000 miles, that's two more cars they didn't sell. That's right. So you got to remember, it's kind of like if you go to an engineer and you say, what is, how long can I go without servicing this transmission? The first question is, how long does it have to last? 100,000 miles. Oh, well, then you can go 100,000 miles. No problem. Right. But if I say it has to last 300,000 miles, well, then he's going to give me a totally different recommendation based on what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah, another example of that is, uh, you know, all the new vehicles that come in that we add a quart of differential fluid to. Correct. Brand new vehicles, quart low on the rear deal. Well, that's that's all. If they cut out uh, one quart out of a million cars, that's a big well, at, chunk of change at 15 for bucks a quart for synthetic fluid, you're talking a lot, a lot, a lot of money every year. Not only that, but they're a lot less likely to leak if they're a quart low. <laughs> so you've, you've headed right. off a warranty problem. Right. And you've saved probably $15 million a year or more just by leaving one quart all out. However, that's not that's in right. the best interest of the guy who owns the vehicle. Not for the guy who wants to get a really long life out of right, it. Right, 300,000 miles right. out of his vehicle. I see by the old clock on the wall there, we're just about out of time. We're going to start winding it up, getting on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. And if you go to one of the fine rebroadcasters like Stitcher or iTunes or whomever, please give us a written review because if you do that, it'll move us up in the ratings so more people can hear us. 
Appreciate you listening and proceeding with opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.